this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, I lamented that I have to read that every single time because I'll screw it up if I don't. Because I don't want to do it. I don't want to record it, Jay. I want it to be special each time. Different that is inflections, true. You know. Yeah, I mean, you could just copy and paste that in every time but every, every single time but I, I i need the audience to but, know that but, we do and this. we would miss this inane chatter that we had we have about yes things like this that make every episode i guess a little different yes every episode is different jay and there's always a first time for episodes and for this particular episode it's a first time for us we've had many patrons on we've had people on from australia from the UK, Canada, all around the United States. I spoke many years ago to um, one of the members from Shonen Knife in Japan. Uh, we have, we've been all over the place. Where haven't we been yet, Jay? We haven't been to New Zealand. So, Jay, let's charter the Dig Me Out jet and let's fly <laughs> to New Zealand and say hi to Chris Bishop. Welcome, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to be on. This is yeah. This is a uh, a, a monumentous uh, occasion for us. We've now the is the um, I think a lot of people uh, you know think of Australia and New Zealand as having some sort of like connection in the same way that Canada and the United States are are close to each other. Uh, do you resent that? Do you hate Australia? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually. I mean, this is how I Australia is sort of how I discovered you guys because it was during the lockdown last year in New Zealand. Um, about a year ago, I was just, um, you know, out running, listening to music and just Googling, you know, and I actually came across a podcast that you guys have done about something for Kate. Um, I think their first al- album, yep. Elsewhere for Eight Minutes. Yeah. Like years, I think this is a long time ago. ago. Yeah. You guys did it like, you know, seven or eight years ago. And I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, like these guys just sit around and talk about all the music I love. <laughs> and there was like hundreds and hundreds of um of podcasts. So um and I just thought it was amazing. So I signed up and, and joined the union and everything. And um yeah, so uh I, we really like well I really like Australian music, um nineties and two thousands, you know, alternative and rock and um there's a close symbiotic relationship between the countries. It is like Canada and 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 you yeah. know the US. Yeah. Big brother, little brother, you know, but we've all got there's like a million New Zealanders live in Australia. Um, so cousins and friends and family and um, gotcha. yeah, there's a bit of resentment, but also a, a great, you know, love and, you know, so yeah. Is there a lot of uh, touring between the two countries? Is it pretty typical that a, a big tour of bands going to play both? Um, yeah. So, I mean, typically when, when a big, you know, American act comes down, comes down under, they'll do, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, um, along the East coast of Australia. And then they'll, they'll come over and maybe do one or two shows in, New Zealand. I mean, when Pearl Jam come down under, which they really like doing, they um, they they always do one or two shows in in Wellington and Auckland, who are the, the two major centres in well in New Zealand, um, alongside the east coast of Australia. Um, 
and Australian acts will will come over quite a bit. Courtney Barnett's coming over. She's like, um, we just opened this travel bubble between New Zealand and Australia, so you can do quarantine-free travel. Um, so there'll be a few more Australian acts coming over now. Um, and then again, on the vice versa, it's very common for New Zealand bands because, you know, there's only 5 million of us here. So once you've kind of done, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a tour uh, once a year, you kind of run out of people to play to. So the next, the next step, you know, on kind of world domination is to move to Australia um, or, or tour there frequently. And a lot of bands end up a lot of bands end up moving to Australia to try and make it. Gotcha. Well, congratulations on on doing so well with uh, with COVID. Your country uh, was leading the pack uh, in terms of uh, reducing people being infected and, and new cases, while the United States was exploding. Uh, and uh, deciding to just ignore it. So, congratulations yeah, thank, on thank, that. Thank you. I I um I won't bore you with the details, but I have a bit of a role in that um here at home. But um thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean we're we're doing pretty well. Um, the, the travel with Australia thing is is big. Um, you know, as a million mm-hmm. Kiwis live in Australia, and to be able to go there without having to quarantine for two weeks is is pretty big. That's that's just opened in the last week or so. So people are here are pretty excited about that. Gotcha. So without further ado, let's get to the record that we're going to talk about on this episode. Will you please share with the audience the album that you selected and that our patrons got to check out for this one? So I've selected um, an album uh, by the band Sheha. The album's called Killjoy. It's their second LP. Um, and Sheha's my, my favorite New Zealand band. Um, always, always has been and probably always will be, I suspect. And this is my favorite record by them. Um, and uh yeah it's their second second lp um and uh they're a wellington band which is where i'm from in new zealand um you know very proud wellington band formed and formed at high school when they were 17 18 um at the high school about 20 kilometers from here um and um and yeah and their first record was called churn which they produced with uh jazz coleman um it's pretty well known uh and that was very industrial, um, you know, kind of uh, lots of synths and lots of, um, you know, kind of very of its time, I think, very early 1990s, 1993, quite industrial edge record. Um, and then this is more, um, this is not from 1995, and it's more kind of straight, straightforward, um, you know, metal, I would say. Now, what's interesting <laughs> is looking through their uh, discography, they actually, in terms of success, have had a really strong showing in the 2000s. Like you mentioned, this album came out in, in um, 95, and then they released a self-titled album uh, the following year uh, on the same record label, uh, Wildside, and then that was followed up by The General Electric, which came out in 99. That, that was their first number one. It was triple platinum in New Zealand. It also went to number 23 in Australia. And then they've released, since then five other albums between 2002 and 2014 four of those have gone to number one in australia and all of them have charted in australia or four of them have gone to number one in new zealand and four have uh, or five of them have charted in australia so it seems like they actually have become uh more popular as they've been around their last release i'm showing was in 2014 um f i don't know how you say 5e or Five I, yeah. Five I, uh, that went to number one in New Zealand and number nine in Australia, and that was on Roadrunner, 
uh, Records and Warner, a uh, Roadrunner in Australia and Warner in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean the the history of the band is is pretty interesting. I mean, just what I was saying before, you know, New Zealand bands moved to Australia. That's that's pretty much what Shehard did. So, you know, had some success here in the nineties, um, and and then basically nineteen ninety nine, they they um they produced that with Garth Richardson, the General Electric record in Canada, um, and it's kind of regarded as their breakout record. Um, it's a lot more kind of melodic, a lot more pop friendly. Um, had some huge singles on it. Um, and that they released that in New Zealand and then Australia, and then they got this quite lucky break. They got um, they got moved up the bill on the big day out, which is a big music festival down here. Um, doesn't exist anymore, but it was really popular in the nineties and two thousands. And they got a great um, slot on that, and um, kind of moved to Australia and and did that did that tour, and then the album just kind of took off, um, and and they made it sort of they made it big in Australia and New Zealand as well. So they're kind of in a Kind of an archetypal example of um, the New Zealand band trying to break out, and then they've had a, they've moved to the states. I don't know if you've done the research on their uh, ill-fated move to um, move to America. No, tell us about it. <laughs> so, on the back of that General Electric record in '99, um, there was a bit of major label interest. Did really well down here, as I say, and um, I'm not actually sure who they signed with, but um, they signed with a major in, a, in America and. Went and produced, and uh, they so firstly they changed their name uh, from Shehard to Pacifier, and the reason they did that is that they literally moved to the states. Um, I think round about the time of nine eleven, um, and uh. they were, yeah, and they were told by you know the big wigs at the record label in the states that Shehard sounded too like too much like Shehard, uh, and that no one would buy their albums. Um, so they had changed their name to Pacifier, uh, which. I, I, I kind of hate as a, as a name <laughs> and it's kind of the opposite of what their music's like. Um, but it was the most popular single on the general electric. So they changed their name and recorded an album with Josh Abrahams, who was a big, you know, kind of rap metal guy. Um, I think he'd done some stuff with like Puddle of Mud and those kind of bands, uh, I think. And, and it's, 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 it's an okay record. It, you know, they they kind of felt bullied around, I think, by it, and um, you know, they uh, they they released it in the states, but it never really took off. They did a tour, the tour didn't work out that well. There was band tensions, I think, and um, you know, they didn't like that. They, they resented the fact that they had to change their name, and um, they didn't like the music that ended up making, and um, so never, it never didn't really work out, basically. Yeah, it, it, it says that they it was cl- too close to jihad. Uh, yeah, so that's why they changed it. Interesting note: Scott we- uh, Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots um, is on the track "Coming Down" on that. Yeah, uh, on that yeah. Record. Yeah, I think he was hanging. I think the story there is he was hanging around the studio. He might have been making a record in the same studio and just kind of hanging around. And I think has he got a co-writing credit on that track, or does he just sing on it? Um, I think he just sings on it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the better al- better songs on that album. I don't mind that album. One, a couple of songs on that album, they they still play live a lot. Um, they're great. They're great tracks. But yeah, they generally don't don't really like the album that much. And in terms of streaming, I'm seeing it as I'm seeing a Shihad album named Pacifier. So it looks like they cleaned that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah. changed the name back, so they moved back to New Zealand in '03. And um, I mean, they've been going 30 years now, so yeah, they're sort of in there. Um, late 40s, early 50s. Um, they've moved back here. 
And they've done, you know, they, they're still a band. They've done a bunch of stuff, um, a bunch of different things individually. And um, I think they've just recorded a new album, which is coming out in the next few months. It's their first album for seven years. So everyone's pretty excited about that. So for this record, the lineup uh, was John Too Good on vocals, guitar, and keyboards, Phil Knight on guitar and keyboards, Carl Kippenberger on yeah. bass and vocals, and Tom Larkin on drums. There have been some changes. There's been other guys in the band, but for the album we're talking about, uh, it was uh, it's that uh, lineup. And um, it was recorded with uh, Marcus Wellsford, who is a New Zealand producer, and then he moved to the United States. So he also worked with um, some interesting folks like uh, Tim Finn, which, of course. And then um, he worked on an Adam Lambert album. Which uh, isn't Adam Lambert the guy who's like the lead singer of uh, Queen now? Queen? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Like, what's the name of that band? Uh... Uh, Queen is it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess he moved into a different uh, stratosphere when he moved to the United States and started recording stuff because uh, that's uh, that's definitely different. So. Um, Let's get into some comments from over at Patreon. So let's find out what the patrons thought of this record. Uh, Dewey Cole says, yes, great to see Shihad on DMO. I first saw them as Pacifier here in the United States in 2003 and been a fan ever since. I'm more of a General Electric guy, but Killjoy is a solid record. Well worth the discussion. Um, Richard Waterman, not a huge fan of this band in general, but I really like this album. It really gets you going. Love the drums and drum sound. Some really good heavy guitar riff too. Riffage too. When it cranks, it really goes. Great dynamics, soft, and then extremely loud. Cool grunting on the opening track. You again, and I like the '90s trip hop shoegazy vibe. To Deb's Night Out, where the album. And Steve Musinski said, "With you all the way on everything to do with the drums on this record." Willie Dillon said, "This is the kind of music I would normally like, but it's not quite grabbing me. Maybe it just needs a lot of listening for it to settle in. On initial listen, it seems like a sound that was done better by other bands. Am I giving it a fair shake? Probably not. Okay. Well, he's he's questioning himself, so uh, maybe he chimed in with more thoughts later. Uh, Kyle Bittner says this was an okay album with some pretty gnarly guitar work. The vocals were decent, albeit generic for the style. The thing I can." I really didn't like was the metallic snare drum sound similar to that of St. Anger. I, that is really pushing to say it's St. Anger I, I, level. I can see where he's going. I can see where he's okay. going. Okay. We'll uh, as I said, it was fine, but there was nothing that set them apart. Better EP. Richard Waterman. I don't think that drum sound is that similar. Sorry, Kyle. The snare bass drum. The snare and bass drum has a nice ring to it. Just sounds like a cool live drum kit to me. Not small and boxy. Darren Leach says... Shihad are one of the best live bands. Johnny Too Good is one of the best frontmen going around. He knows how to rev up the crowd and get them off. Okay. But the problem is they have never really been able to recreate that same energy on an album. Better EP. And then Steve Musiski says, my introduction to Shihad was the General Electric was put on a poll some months ago. Oh, was it? I don't, I don't remember that. 
Um, it received lots of po- a lot of positive feedback, so I checked it out, but was more immediately turned off by the vocal pro- approach and new metal trappings. Therefore, I approached Killjoy with admitted skepticism, which, to my surprise, was dispelled right out of the gate with the album opener, You Again. I was immediately hooked by the band's sense of rhythm and groove and the pockets of space they create for crunchy, sometimes angular guitars. Beyond that, the production is simply gigantic on this thing. I could listen to this record. For the drum sound performance alone, I hear shades of Helmet, Bark Market, Elron especially, or specifically, and even a little season to risk, all without necessarily being derivative. Overall, the weakest part of this record for me lies in a lot of the vocal delivery. Then again, it's nowhere near what they ended up doing on General Electric, so I'll shut up and enjoy the grooves. We're the album for me. All right. Let's talk about the record that they've all been talking about. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Killjoy by Shihad. 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 Well, and I, I do want to clarify that General Electric was in a poll in June recommended by Adrian Reed. So uh, that's when I first heard about the band. Um, was you when they popped to up all in the, the albums poll. in those polls? Not always. Meaning. That was the first time I had ever seen the band name. I was like, hmm, that's a different name. I don't remember this band. <laughs> um, so what I like about it, I like, it is very straightforward. Um, it's very, um, I, I actually, I, I guess they're not a three piece. It, listening to this, it feels like a power trio to me. Um, just in that it's so focused on a primary riff um, and then establishing you know, really good tones across the guitar, bass and drums. Like everybody has a, has a sort of part of the frequency spectrum. And then which nets out into a pretty, I think pretty big sound, like right out of the gate, uh, you know, that first riff. And as the band comes in, you know, it's a pretty chunky, heavy sounding band. Um, But as you go through it, to me, it feels like a three-piece kind of approach in that, you know, there's not a lot of overdubs. It's pretty honest. It's um, it's punchy and big sounding, but it's also roomy. So that drum thing also, I think the the ringing uh, of the snare drum a little bit and the, just the how high it is is probably where the comment came from saying anger. But it just gives that live three-piece kind of power trio vibe. Now, it sounds like they have four members of the band, but um, that's just sort of sonically to me what it sounded like. Um, You get some pretty heavy stuff early on in the record, and then as you go through, it starts to expand. Um, So I hear a lot of really interesting sounds, primarily just listening to the vocals. I, I think that's one thing I disagree with on a lot of the comments was, um, I was really found myself focusing on the singer, uh, because on some of the material, he sounds like maybe like stabbing Westward or Trent Reznor and then other stuff. He kind of sounds like King's X, you know, the, or maybe, uh, or actually one song, um, Deb's night out. I thought he sounded like Robert Smith in the verses. <laughs> so it's like, there's a lot of range there. Thank you. 
and he's working with i think vocally around a pretty you know bombastic sound you know the a lot of these songs are based on riffs that are um i think borderline almost helmet like um and how heavy they are and just propulsive and sometimes simple um in that way um so it's interesting to hear him sing uh, around sometimes music that's that loud and you know in your face uh it's always interesting to me like what do you do with that as a singer so uh in some cases he's he's pulling off like doing stuff that's a little bit more restrained or atmospheric or kind of pulled back but then when the songs get more intense i think he does a good job of um you know getting aggressive and and you know really pushing things and pushing the rest of the the, the song so I, I found that interesting like that dynamic between that heavy kind of band approach and then what do you do as a singer and i really liked what he had in terms of range um i tend to like the songs that develop so instead of like i noticed the second half of the record after deb's night out the songs tend to start like quieter and then they build to something that's either like more groove oriented and heavier or just like flip the switch explosion kind of feel um i tend to like that those songs better and just that feel better for this band it just feels a little, a little bit more um diverse so songs like silver cup get up nil those tended to grow on me more um just because of the dynamic um that's there the softer verse and build and then they've got some stuff in here that's i think outside of that he heavier helmet like um groove riff kind of feel like envy and De deb's night out that i really like a lot um so envy's like more of an ascending kind of guitar riff it's a little bit more melodic overall just what in terms of what the band's doing the the drummer's a little bit busier he's not just locked into a groove he's doing you know a lot more fills and just looser and then deb's night out is just really different like atmospheric almost 80s new wavy kind of sounding to me like the cure i'd love to hear more stuff like that i thought that was a really cool song so you know all in all it's a it's a punchy band it's a, a lot of attitude a lot of energy um and i think the stuff that worked best was when they kind of balanced that and and uh were able to let the singer step up a little bit and not have to like compete with the you know really heavy sort of like brain pounding riffs um that's the stuff that i think they help you know show the the abilities of everybody in the band and kind of balance things better what about you tim well i agree with you on some of the comparisons i definitely got a, a helmet vibe to this because of those drop d riffs those those very you know that are locked in with the kick and the, and the bass. Um, what I think I, you know, and I'm a fan of helmet from, you know, say the meantime up to aftertaste is like my sweet spot for that band. And while Paige Hamilton, uh, sometimes is able to dial in a really sweet chorus. Um, he never has really, I don't think 
expanded the sound of that band in a way that I've enjoyed. Right. Yep. Whereas this kind of went in the directions where I was like, oh, this is kind of where I wish Helmet would have gone. <laughs> right. And, and yep. embrace a little bit more atmospheric sound and embrace some different rhythms and, and embrace some, some odder choices than just uh metallic and angry and i never liked it when he was in his screaming voice i always liked it better when he was in his his uh you know just singing voice and this record really hit that sweet spot for me where like i really like those just chugging big drop d chords locked in I, i totally dig that sound it's very simple in terms of you know it's not it's not shredding. And what's funny is that I was looking at this did get released in the United States and it was on a record label called noise international, which is actually a German label, but the whole label is metal. It's like Halloween and overkill and all these bands that like, this is not like that band, (laughs) but I do get that same sort of vibe sometimes. Cause like when you get like those really pounding halftime over and over again, like that gives me the same feeling as listening to like metal music in in some instances yeah but the thing that i really enjoyed about this record was like you mentioned that you get to the back half of this record and they start taking some really cool and interesting uh directions with some of these songs i can hear where people if you just put on the first couple songs you'd go oh okay well this yeah this this is i've heard this before this is helmet this is like big riff stuff alternative metal alternative rock I think if you let the album go and you and you you give it a full listen and and then a re-listen, you start to go, oh, okay, you know, I can see where the where the start of this band was in terms of being this big drop D riff band, but they clearly wanted to try some different and and unique ideas. And I think you said they were like an industrial band on the first record. That was interesting to me because I can hear elements of of like industrial ideas that have been played by like a live band yeah you know rhythmic ideas uh melodic ideas of repetition that are you know close to something that like you know we've heard before with regards to you know uh uh, some of the what are the prick or stabbing westward was one band like a band approach to industrial that was the call sounded to me like that band definitely found a lot I, I liked about this band because i'm already in the headspace of liking that sort of heaviness and and then hearing them take it in some like you mentioned that with the what was it deb's night out it, yep. i mean that that alone like hooked me and went oh okay this is a band that's 
doing some cool stuff. Like when you get to that point, yeah. And then you hear that, and you hear some other stuff that's going on with uh, rhythms and 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 melodies. It definitely like it made sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. I mean, this came out in '95, so it's interesting that I mean I had never heard this, and yet yeah. I I don't know why. Maybe it just didn't make it to the radio station, but I have no recollection of this record at all. And it no. would have totally connected with me because I was listening to Helmet's Betty at this point, you know? Yeah. And, no, and this totally is very, I think this is very um, on par with the early Clutch stuff. That's another band that kind of popped just for a moment for me. Like, okay, yeah, I could see like a song like For What You Burn has that kind of Clutch feel to me. Um, I also heard like early corn, you know, that maybe what maybe came a year or so after this. Um, so yeah, it was surprising, a little bit puzzling and surprising that this wasn't bigger and that I hadn't heard of it. If no other for no another way than just like referential to some of the other bands that came later, which I'm hearing in this sound. Right. And it even re- there was aspects of it. That I was, I, I it took me a couple times, and I go, "What does this sound like?" Like Silver Cup, it took me a little while ago. Oh, this kind of has like a Jawbox yeah. kind of feel with the way that the drums are playing. Where you're getting the, the, the I think he's doing yeah. a lot of tom work in that, and yeah. there's some like there's some staccato like guitar things going on. I'm like, this is more like post punk in some ways. Well, and bitter sounds like uh, Bark Market to me. Like yeah. the, even the production wise, I was like, oh yeah, this sounds like the. The production of those records so yeah it's it's it, it 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 hits a lot of like alternative stuff that was big or was about to be big or is like thought of now as being like really um you know important influential right so it's interesting that it didn't break through more here at least for for americans so chris uh is this the album that you discovered him on or were you on board with the first record uh, no, I, I discovered it um, a couple of years after it came out um, when I was like 13, 14. Okay. Um, it, it is, um, you know, it's one of those uh, albums where when you're 14 and an angry, you know, white kid in a suburban house, and, uh, you know, you, you sort of do tune into a little bit, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I got into it um, later on and then I worked my way backwards. Um, okay. It was their 1998, 1999 stuff that, that turned me on to them, and then I went backwards. Um, but I, you know, I love I love the record. Uh, it's really interesting hearing you, you talk about the various aspects of it. I mean, a lot, Helmet was a big comparison. Um, you know, even when it came out, I think if you look at reading some of the reviews from the time. Um, but it, it is surprising it didn't it didn't kind of cut through because, you know, like Iggy Pop has praised it. Metallica talked about what a great record it was when it came out um they toured with faith no more um at the time um through europe i think um the Kerrang put it in their top top 10 records of the year or something in 95 but it just never kind of i think it was released i think it was released in the states but obviously didn't get any radio play or anything i think it was released in europe too but didn't get any didn't really get any traction so yeah so, you know that's interesting. I th- I have to imagine that the thing that hurt it with the U.S. is that it was on a very small label, and yeah. they just didn't. I mean, the thing that was also is they're servicing th- I, those bands that I listed. 
they're servicing metal radio with this and you you really kind of needed like a u.s like either a major or a or a label i'm trying to think of who um helmet was on uh well they were on geffen weren't they or yeah one of those or you needed like a chicago label like like touch and go i think you know that would have been a label like a jesus lizard label would have been able to handle this because there's just um interscope Oh, they were on see Interscope would have yeah. I, I think being on a German metal label with Halloween was probably not the best. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yeah, the best position for them. And it's it's sort of it's sort of metal, but it's sort of not right. And that and that right exactly. Um, and that's um and that sort of confronted them their whole career is how to what what box do they kind of fall into? And they've, they've had you know every album's had different you know different leanings and different tones and styles and everything, but they've always um. You know, the, the, in New Zealand, you know, the, they, you know, when they first started out, you know, they, were, they the, you know, the metal, the, you know, the heavy metalers loved them, uh, and you know, they've kind of, um, they've always kind of had the grungy alternative guys as well. Um, you know, done some more poppy stuff, um, which has crossed over into the mainstream a bit. But yeah, they've, they've always never, you've never been able to kind of put them into a box and go, right, this is an industrial band, this is a metal band, this is a grunge band, or whatever. What What are your favorite aspects of this record in particular? So, like, I I just love the uh, you know the big drop D tunings of um, of like you again. You again is one of my favourite songs, and um, it's it's just a you know it's a straightforward uh, you know rock and roll song with a big big riff. Um, but I just love the production on it. Uh, it's just so loud and raucous uh, and heavy. Uh, and but I think there's a, there's a restraint there. There's like a breakdown about two and a half minutes, three minutes in where. The song just kind of broods a little bit, and it's uh, bitter is, is probably my favorite song on the record. Um, mainly for the lyrics, which, um, you know, I just think there's some really nice lyrical turns of phrase there, like um, towards the end when he talks about affection becoming affliction, uh, let it go, and stuff. I really, uh, I really identified with, you know, particularly at the time when I was growing up. love the, the way the bass and the drums drive that song forward um this is a really propulsive kind of um just energy to it and a vibe in that song um and um yeah so bitter is probably my favorite track on the record but um the bitter you again and death night out are probably my three my three favorites um yeah i just think it's got a it's got a um a moodiness to it that uh i think is, is just great um and they, they they do let the song breathe uh, a lot. It's, it's there's more going on there than just kind of straight ahead, you know, metal or industrial or anything. There's um, 
some really interesting sonic things things happening. Jay, uh, in terms of what didn't work, was the snare an issue for you? For you, <laughs> it wasn't, but I could see what I could see the comp to uh, San Anger just internally. Um, I didn't have, sonically. I don't have a huge issue. I listened to the remaster um, on streaming. I will say that it sounds better through speakers than it does through headphones. Through headphones, it does sound a little compressed. Uh, I found it to be punchier. There's a lot of sub bass stuff going on on this record that worked better mm-hmm. for me through speakers too. Um, and just overall, I think the live kind of feel to it worked better through speakers and headphones. Um, so sonically, I don't have a ton of complaints other than the vocal is very buried in the mix. And I think he's a really compelling singer. I think he has a unique voice. I think he's doing some nuanced things here. Um, I would just like to hear him louder. Um, I think he's struggling sometimes to, to get over the riffs, which are just like I mentioned before, just like brain bashing. Um, so that would be my, my, my main criticism of the record and thing I didn't, didn't work for me was just the, like it hooks you right away with a big sound. And then, you know, the first two songs, I think the riffs are just so repetitive that I'm sort of exhausted. So as the album shifts and changes, um, by the time you get to something like Envy and Deb's Night Out, um, I'm, I'm getting fatigued by the repetition of some of these riffs. I wish they would so, uh, so I think the second half of the record, when they use a little bit more dynamic, like starting the songs quieter and then building to the riff. Um, and then I can hear the singer more, you know, in those quiet moments, singing differently and just being able to focus on him because the guitar isn't pounding you in the head. Um, I, I, I connected with that stuff better. So I think the thing that, you know, just didn't work for me on the record is just pull, if they could just pull back maybe 20% on the guitar riffs, you know? Um, And it's also, I think this riff style they write is very like short and repetitive. And then the bass is kind of, when they're doing that, they're doing the same, the bass is doing the same thing. So I think it's effective like for a burst, but, you know, over the course of a, you know, five minute song, I found myself, you know, kind of exhausted um, wanting something else um so that's my biggest um i think criticism and thing that didn't work is just more i want new more nuance a little uh, a little more relief and dynamic um, right around the riffs and i think my only serious criticism or or big criticism is i think this is I think this it's the sequencing that causes that problem. If you went from you again to silver cup, that would completely change the start of the record. I think going from you again to gimme gimme, it just, it's back to back pounding you. And while I like that in terms of like a helmet record, because I know that this band is more diversified than a helmet record. I want to get that second song. Like, show me what you got. Like, show me some other twist you've got. And then come back to something heavy, then go to bitter, then go to, you know, 
gimme gimme or something like that. But I, I wish there was more of an of a, a, a diversity because it does feel like the back end is loaded with sort of like we're taking the chances on the back end. And it's like I wish that had been reshuffled uh, a little bit because there's just yeah, it's just one, two, three songs of just like like hitting you hard. And um, I don't think that like I'll say in Paige Hamilton's defense, he usually keeps those songs pretty tight, like three and a half minutes. Um, like Gimme Gimme being 520 essentially is a little bit longer than I think that that song needs to be. Um, and then Nil is not on the original pressing, right? That's on the re-release, Chris. Yeah, that's right. So it, Nil, N-I-L or Nil, um, was uh, was released in Japan on the Japanese version in 95, but um, not anywhere else. And then it's on the re- remastered re-release, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it, it, in terms of, if you're listening to this record, you have no idea that that's not the album closer. It does have like a, um, a slightly different guitar sound. I feel like it has like a more metallic-y guitar sound. So it kind of throws off a little bit the, the way that the record ends um, in comparison to ending with Get Up, which is still like a loud rock and record, but it's about 30 seconds shorter. Um, but that's really my only criticism with this record is that it's just, I just don't love the sequencing. I don't think it does the album favors because it kind of wears you out uh, right up at the top. Any criticisms from you, Chris, about this record? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, back, back when I was sort of 15, I loved the one-two punch of you again and Gimme Gimme, just like right. put the record on and just be like, yeah, I've got like 10 minutes of just like massive riffs coming at me. This is totally what I want. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, and again, you know, kind of 20 years ago, uh, I actually really liked the fact the vocals are buried beneath the guitars. Um, you know, particularly on a song like Bitter, you know, you used to crank that out and you'd really have to strain to hear the the, uh, the vocals uh, beneath the riffs. Um, I used to really quite like that because, um, you know, it just I just enjoyed the vibe of it. Um, now, kind of looking back at it, I was listening to it this afternoon on the on the way, to, way here. Um, uh, you know, I think you're probably right. You know, I think um, you could just turn the turn the vocals up a, a bit and put them up, up higher up in the mix. Um, uh, so yeah, it's interesting looking back at it because you, you you know your taste in music and what you like do change obviously over time. Um, yeah, but I, but I mean I think the sequencing comment is fair as well. I think um, the, the 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 back five tracks, you know, I, I like the way they've done it. You know, you've got you've got 
bitter, and then you've got for what you burn, which really brews, got a real intensity to it. And then you've got um, is it um, is it silver cups number eight, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, pretty good. And then I really like the. I don't think of nil as on the record. Um, I, I you know I think that I really like the ending with um, uh, um, you know the way they've done it now. I think it's um, like a it, you one of you were saying that you know it's nice how some of the back half songs you know kind of build without starting with the riff. I think that's um. Um, that's kind of true with Get Up, you know, you've got that sort of minute and a half, two minutes of just the drums. Um, and there's some additional percussion by a New Zealand percussionist on that album, on that song. So uh, I think you've got you've got Tom kind of pounding away and then some other stuff going on with the percussionist over the top as well. And then it builds towards the end and then it just ends, you know, you've got those, those massive riffs for about 30 seconds to end the song. Uh, and that's it. And then the record's done. So I kind of think of that as the end of the record. And I... I... A song like Get Up, what's nice, especially, is because if that snare sound has, you know, started to wear on you, because Get Up is that Tom-driven part for so long, it goes away, and then it's not as uh, pounding. I I think this, it was weird, because when I was passively listening to the record and just working and listening to it, the snare didn't. I didn't pick up on it the way that some other people did. But then once I read that people said that, and then I started listening, actively listening to the record and like focusing in on stuff, I was like, Oh yeah, the snare is, that's pretty, that's pretty loud. That's, that's kind of metallic sounding. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's exactly the, the, yeah, that's what always happens. Like, You'd, like don't think of an elephant. And then you think of an elephant. Yes. And then you cannot think of it. And you're like, Oh my God, this is annoying me. Right. <laughs> um, but I am surprised going back to what we were talking about earlier. I am surprised that this at least didn't get any sort. I don't. I I couldn't find like reviews of it in the United States from back in that time. I mean, it was just like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what their what the labels PR was doing, but they didn't get yeah. it to the right people, right stations. Because if you think of like, okay, so it's ninety five. You're on a bu- label with a bunch of heavy metal bands. This isn't going to get played on Headbangers Ball. Like, maybe you again, but by this point, Helmet's getting played on 120 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although there were bands at this time, like, uh, like Prong popped in my head when I listened to this as well, of, you know, these that were played a lot on Headbangers Ball, where they started to, like, try to find the next... It was like pre new metal. They were, tr- you know, trying to find these like bands Pantera. that were like heavy, but yeah, taking a new approach. Yeah, it would be a stretch for me to hear some of these songs. You know, making that, making that kind of leap there. Yeah, you know, they, they they are definitely a uh, have one foot in Headbangers Ball and one foot in 120 minutes territory, which is always <laughs> probably not a good place to be. It's it was like when we we've talked about this before, but when you're in between two things, even if you're really good at it, that can be a, a really tough sell because it's like, which one do you focus on? Well, it's a business. Uh, People, people want to put you in a box that makes, you know, it makes their job easier. So, right. I don't think they're doing that for anybody. I think the fact, um, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but you know, it's just being from New Zealand too, right? It's like, we don't know where New Zealand is, you know, it's like 13 hour flight away touring's hard 
you know, take a punt on a band from down under, you know, what's the point? You know, is that because that kind of true as well? Well, yeah, because if you think about, I was trying to remember, uh, you know, bands from Australia had really, I, I mean, this is the same year that Frog Stomp by Silverchair gets released. So, yeah. I mean, that's really the first significant alternative record coming out of Australia at this yeah. point. So, and that's very much a direct response to or or result of Nirvana. I mean, that well, was Kid Nirvana essentially. Yeah, in the that, that, that that record fit exactly like in format for alternative American radio at the time. Yes, and then you had the extra bonus of like, oh, this is interesting because it's an Australian band, <laughs> but, but it right. fit format perfectly. Dan, Daniel Johns from Silverchair even looked like Kurt Cobain back then. <laughs> yep. He's like, the he's, like, he's, like, li- he's like literally kid, kid Kurt Cobain. He's like, it's got the blonde, blonde, blonde hair. And um, tomorrow could be a, um, and um, Rockstop was huge in New Zealand as well. Um, I mean, grunge generally was massive in New Zealand. Um, right. Like, like really big. Uh, and, and I mean, Pearl Pil- Jam tour down here, they sell 50,000. They can do, they can do 100,000 people in a week down here out of a 5 million population. I mean, they're huge. Sure. And when we talk, I mean, we're talking about Helmet as if they were the same level of that, but they were really a very minor band in the overall scope of American alternative rock in the 90s. They had one, basically one video on MTV that did well in the meantime, or not in the meantime. um, uh, What am I thinking, Jay? What's the the song? Unsung, sorry, it was Unsung, was the big single. And and after that, they were pretty much just a, a niche band. I mean, they they we, we talk about them because this universe that we're in talking about 90s music is knowledgeable. But, you know, the average person in, in the 1990s was not listening to Helmet. They, I saw them in like 97 in the attic of a house. <laughs> You know what I mean? At a at a music conference, playing into a very small crowd uh, for the Aftertaste album. So we have to, I guess, temper our expectations when we when we say, "Oh, well, this is like Helmet," but it's like, "Well, Helmet really wasn't that big," and Jawbox really wasn't that. I mean, the the most that Jawbox exposure probably came from opening for Stone Temple Pilots and having their bass player hit with a beer bottle. You know, that's yeah. that's. And Scott Weiland yelling at the crowd for when that happened. This this is like kind of the you know this is exactly the kind of band that we should be discovering because it it checks all these boxes and yet we've never heard of them, so it's like a perfect dig me out band in, in that respect. Um, so let's get into our uh, our overall ratings, Jay, on this record, and we'll share the ones from our Patreon uh, votes. Um, shortly but uh jay where do you land were the album better ep or decent single jay you're muted oops <laughs> i'm gonna land at it i'm gonna land at an ep uh my ep would be the call nv deb's night out bitter just because of the chorus i don't love the verse that's another example of like that just riff starts to just fatigue me but i think the chorus and the bridge of that are really um strong uh silver cup and get up 
So one, two, three, four, five, six songs. It was a solid EP. Um, From a nine, originally a nine song album. So that's. Yeah. And I, and I don't mind uh, Nil either. It's a little, um, a little slower, but they really worked themselves into a, in a pretty great groove in that song too, um, that I kind of like. So um, if we were counting that song on the album as it is now, you know, I wouldn't, I, w- I would probably throw that on there too. So I think I'm at a solid EP. Uh, well, I'm at a worthy album. I think I, I really like this record overall. I think my really my only complaint is that just I, I would like to reschedule or uh, redo the the how it's sequenced is just it. I mean that's that's my only complaint. I think uh, is every song you know a, a home run? No, but I mean I, there's some really cool album tracks essentially on this record but i think i think it just works overall as a record which is what i liked listening to it as which is just putting it on and and letting it go over and over and and um it just dig the sound i like the you know those big riffs combined with some of the more uh the trickier stuff that uh has like you know you mentioned has a um a more of a build on the back end i really dug that so yeah, I'm gonna wear the album for this, Chris. I know you. I know you've made your uh, your opinion known. Could you make it official? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a worthy album. Um, you know, I I think looking back at it, you know, it's it's of its time a bit, but I still think it's it's it stands up pretty well. You know, 25 years on, um, you know, I still I still dig it. Still, um, still crank it out and um, listen to it. You know, in the car or going for a run or whatever. It's great. Let me ask you if if people are just discovering this band on this record, what's the next album in their catalog that they should go to if they dug this one? Well, that's an interesting um, that's an interesting question because there's there's nothing really else like this in the Shehad kind of pantheon or catalog. Um, this this was definitely their heaviest record, um, without doubt. Um, I mean, probably my favorite album after this is is probably the the General Electric, um, okay. which is the '99 one, which is kind of their their breakthrough into the mainstream, which is still really heavy and tight at, at parts, but it's got a it's got a kind of a pop sheen to it that um, Killjoy doesn't. So, uh, and it's got some it's got some synthy things. So if you like Deb's Night Out um, from this record, then there's, there's kind of um, uh, you know reflections on that on on the general electric as well um kind of some some you know some funky synthy stuff going on there as well and, and a pop sheen to it that like it's not out scott but also some of the some of the riffs like if, if you also like the riffs from you again and get up and um and bitter uh similar similar sort of um tones of like that on on general electric too but just with the, the vocals a bit more in the higher up in the mix and a bit more of a pop shine to it um so probably the general electric I mean that's okay. cool. that's, a, that's a really great record, and maybe maybe in a year's time I can come back and we can do that one. Um, although I've got another, uh, I've got another totally underappreciated New Zealand band that tried to make it big in the states that um, it never happened. Uh, for next time, <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't realize it until you know I was doing a little research on on New Zealand bands. Um, it totally forgot that we had done a New Zealand band before with Crowded House. Uh, Oh, yeah. with, the, with the um 
what I don't remember what was the record that we did, Jay? Uh, the fa- wooden face. No, oh, wood, wood face. Fa- yeah, ninety ninety one. Yeah. You know the I, I don't know. I mean, Neil Finn's from New Zealand, but um, you would have a lot of Australians who would take issue with Crowder House being a New Zealand band. That's a that's a kind of New Zealand Australia rivalry thing. <laughs> Because um, they can have Tim. You guys keep Neil. Yeah, well, Neil's Neil Neil is a New Zealander, obviously, but um, the other two guys in Crowded House, um, Paul Hester and Nick Seymour, I think, are the other two guys. Or from that record, are both Australian, and so Australians say, "Oh, Crowded House is a Australian band." Um, Yeah. So, um, but Tim, I think Tim Tim played on Woodface as well. Together Alone is the album we did. Oh, I made okay. a mistake. Okay, 93. Yeah. 93, yeah. So that's so Tim had left the band by then. So um yeah. But um Neil, Neil, yeah, I mean Crowded House are a Crowded House are the most are the biggest band ever to come out of New Zealand. So well, on our poll, where the album took it, uh 6040 over better EP. Which is a that's a good showing. I mean, we've had some tough polls <laughs> recently, where uh, either there was it was better EP decent single or or worse. So that's a nice showing. We got a bounce back for uh, Killjoy here. Uh, Chris, thank you for for spending some of your Sunday uh, afternoon with us. This thank was a you. lot of fun. Great. It was great. Thanks, guys. And. Uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, you don't have to wait until next year in terms of uh, making a pick. You can always drop some uh, ideas into the uh, Dig Me Out uh, uh, suggestion box over at the website if you have some other New Zealand bands. God knows it gets stuffed with enough Australian bands. Uh, you know, we can use a little more diversity. Okay, I'll do that. Sure. That's the number one complaint. You guys do too much Australian. You're, you're, you're ignoring the rest of the world. Uh what do I got to do here at the end? Oh, I got to do the stuff. All right. So like I mentioned, you go to digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you suggest a record. Uh, it's also where you sign up for the box newsletter delivered to you every weekend. Uh, reviews of new albums, books, movies related to 80s and 90s music. And uh, you can also read that and uh, listen to that at Patreon, which is where you can become a member of the union and support the podcast. It's where you get access to the Discord uh, channel, where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And lastly, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.